Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shaluk. Shalisten, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Shaluk, Shalisten. 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 Very good and very exciting, Ben. Thank you for coming back to On Shom Rabyug, the tiny room for today. The hottest day of the year, Benjamin. It's a sweltering 20-something degrees and we are two very melty Irish boys. It's no good, Michael. We're pale and meant for lands that have never been touched by the sun. So melty. But you look, Ben, we don't have time to talk about how much we're melting because we've other things to talk about, including the sad passing of one John Romita Sr. Benjamin. We also have a couple of movies coming up and they've done trailers. They've done They Clone Tyrone and Babylon 5 Return to the Multiverse and what's that last one? Heart of Stone? What's that? <laughs> you put it on, Michael. What is it? You added it to the file. It's Gal Gadot's new film coming oh, out in August. Gal Gadot thing. That's called Flat Heart of Stone. Who knew? And Benjamin. Yeah. In the meanwhile, you and I have both, in a rare bit of serendipity, we've both seen The Flash, the new movie The Flash. We went to see it together, Michael. Oh yeah, we did. It wasn't serendipity. We actually organised it. We planned it. Oh yeah, yeah. The whole thing. The whole thing. So listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, and it really isn't this week, it's either a feast or a famine these days, Michael. I can't keep up. Feast or a famine. It's this writer's strike, Benjamin. It's thrown us for a loopity loop. Oh, we forgot to put in a little bit about that. I have a little bit to put on that. Whoa. Okay, you can put that in after we talk about John Romita. But yeah, tell us what the main number. topic is, though. That's the main topic, Michael, is <laughs> yeah. you, there's a new Star Trek series coming out. And for some reason we said, why don't we put ourselves through Nemesis? Oh, one of the best or worst ones. The hit 2002 film Nemesis. Star Trek Nemesis from 2002? Imagine, that's a long time ago. 21 years. It's not years. as long as I thought, Michael. I thought that was a 90s gig. Oh, did you? I thought it was much more recent. I thought it was about six years ago. No. No, not 2002. At all. 21 years. Benjamin. Yeah. A very sad passing this week. Legend of comic books. John, Ro- I say Romita. Some people have been saying Romita. I don't know how you say it. But John Romita, senior past, Ben. Yes. Very sad. Absolutely huge, hugely influential comic book artist Michael who is he Um, just one of the OGs of the Marvel Universe in several ways Michael I'd like Um, to hear more go go on I'll tell you more I'll tell you more please do he is not only a very popular artist in terms of the style and some of the iconic issues that he got to illustrate but he was also seminal Michael full of semen full of semen when it came to co-creating certain beloved characters Tell me one, for example, Benjamin, Mary Jane. Yes, Mary Jane bloody Watson, Michael. Mary Jane Watson, the best Marvel character. Very interesting take. Hot take from Michael there. (laughs) Face it, Tiger, Ben. She says, face it, Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. Yes, yes. Not really understanding any significance that she's ever had in the US. But anyway, anyway, Michael. Benjamin, Benjamin Colby, how dare you? Mary Jane Watson has done more for sexy redheads than anyone alive. There's yourself, Michael. Don't count yourself out there now. Well, you... Mary Jane is like our president, Ben. She's, she's the president your El Presidente. Of the sexy... Yeah, she's our El Presidente. She's the president of the Sexy Redheads Club. Are you the vice president? No, I'm the treasurer. <laughs> You're good with money. There's yeah, no yeah, doubt. Very, There's no doubt. The, the, that feels very vaguely racist in the context of hair colour. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying like gingers are really good with money or something. I don't know what I'm. Sounds. I don't know what I was getting at there. Benjamin, what actually popular characters did he create? <laughs> the Punisher, Michael, is one of his big ones, and Wolverine. Did he do Wolverine? He did. He co-created Wolverine and Luke Cage. I thought Wolverine was Chris Claremont, and was it Chris Claremont and John Romita? It must have been. Okay. It's According in the notes, you. Michael. It's in the notes. If it's in the notes, it's sacrosanct. Benjamin, if it's in the also... notes, it's sacrosanct. Now I'm going to have to look it up. You fucked me. You oh, look it up. I looked this up earlier and I felt so confident putting it in the notes. <laughs> Benjamin, but he also was full of semen because he produced another great comic book writer or artist, John Romita Jr. This is the most disrespectful, factual take on this poor man's passing. 
I don't know if it's the most disrespectful. We've accidentally been more disrespectful to people who've died more tragically. Yeah, we have. What are you doing? Like, what I've are you mistyped up? the word Wolverines into the into the search bar, and I've gotten a band called the Wolverines, a rock band from New South Wales. Oh, in uh, Australia, I believe. In Australia. Hey, look- are you just looking up John Romita Jr.? No, I'm looking up Wolverine. Okay. So I can find things out. Anyway, Michael, unfortunately, he passed away June 12th, 2023, at the age of 93. Good innings. That's a good innings now, to be fair. Excellent innings. If anyone says comic book drawing is bad for your health, they're obviously liars. Absolute liars. Michael, it was Chris Claremont, John Romita Sr., Roy Thomas and Len Wine. That's too many. That's too many cooks spoil the Wolverine. Yeah, they needed to sort it out afterward. Ben. Hmm. Heart of Stone. We're going to play one of our famous games, Ben. Yes. I would like you to to just close your eyes for a second and I'd like you to think of a movie. Yeah. I'd like to th- you to think of a movie where there's a... Sp- or, or a TV show. Mm-hmm. Where there's a spy organisation, Ben. And mm-hmm. that spy organisation exists outside of normal national boundaries. Citadel. Just so that- Citadel, very good. Just so that... No, it's the Mission Impossible group, Ben. Yes, it's the IMF. It's the IMF. No, it's Citadel. No, it's the Kingsman. No, it's literally anything that's been made about spies in the last 25 years. G.I. Joe, Michael. G.I. Bloody Joe. Benjamin, they could mm. have just transposed Gal Gadot into any recent spy movie. It's so generic. I think that's primarily how Gal Gadot collects a paycheck these days. She is just green screened into films that have already been made. <laughs> we just had a generic bot play this character. Who can we green screen over them? And then all of a sudden, a very gentle Israeli voice from the back of the room goes, Hi. Hi, well, I'm here for one day, and I'd be in your movie if you'd like. <laughs> and everybody goes, all right. Oh, all right, that here. one Wonder Woman movie was good, wasn't it? You really showed your range in that, didn't you? That, yeah, that yeah. was good. We've just been clipping bits of her out of that and putting her into other movies for the last <laughs> 15 years. That's all they have to do. But, Benjamin, this spy movie is unique. Go on. In that... No, I can't think of anything. There's nothing. I can't think There's of nothing. anything. There's nothing. I can't think of anything, Ben. Michael, 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 come here to me. What is it? This is salt. This right. is atomic blonde. Yeah, yeah. From this the producer, is isn't it? Barbed wire. Yes. yes this is good. Citadel. Yes. And Michael, it's got one of the most generic starts that I've ever come across. You know the game. No attachments, no connections. Like, Jesus Christ, it is a better cover for a spy to have attachments and connections than to be a lone wolf with nothing. At this stage, certainly. At this stage of the game, all you have to do is look someone up on Instagram. And if they're not on Instagram, red flag. Red flag straight away. This person is definitely (laughs) a spy. It applies to dating and it applies to spies. Fucking, if you don't have Instagram that we can check out, fucking red flag. You're... Definitely up to something, Ben. But what's unique about this one is that in this one, no, not like I've got nothing. Man. I can't think Absolutely of anything. Absolutely nothing. Is it? Is it perhaps the generic MacGuffin at the centre of it, which is actually a supercomputer AI that dictates all the decisions for them, and then ultimately actually makes it arbitrary for the organisation to exist? No, because that already exists. That's been done lots of times. Yeah, it's called Wanted, Michael. <laughs> for example. It Except wanted the it, AI was a loom. It wanted at least it was a loom. But it's also, like, that. that is also, isn't that in the one where Will Smith, the government is after Will Smith? Yes, it's called, hi, I'm Will Smith. I like to slap people when they speak about my wife. Yes, and the government is after me. And the government is after me. Michael, 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 Michael. What? Michael. What? There is one thing that's very unique about it. Oh, yeah, what is it? It's... No, no, sorry, no, I thought I had not, something. I was no. going to give it a redeeming <laughs> feature. Not, I, I just, I just Gal Gadot has a bit of a fringe, I suppose. I don't know if you've seen that That's, haircut on her before. We haven't seen Gal with a, a fringe before. Yeah, so I suppose that it has that going for it. Why wouldn't you just watch Extraction 2? Is there an Extraction 2? Yeah, it's been out a few weeks. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that in the podcast. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, um, Michael, come here to me. Jamie Dornan's in this. We've got an Irishman, Smiguffin. Oh. <laughs> 
I suppose that's I think she good. kind of falls for him in a in in territory that we've never seen in a spy film, Michael. <laughs> Cold-hearted spy who yeah. is detached from everything suddenly yeah. falls for someone and finds themselves in a perilous situation as a result. Jason good. Bourne. Jason Bourne. Did they get Jamie Dornan because Richard Madden wasn't available because he was filming the exact same things Citadel? Yeah, no, that's that was it. They actually, fun fact about Jamie Dornan and Richard Madden, they actually just swap all the time. It's like the yeah. parent trap, but for movies. Yeah, but for movies with generically handsome men. Ben, this is the most generic thing I've ever seen. I thought this was a parody, I swear to God. It did have a touch of that about it, Michael. It doesn't it? I suppose... I- there is one kind of unique thing that differentiates it from all those other films we've mentioned. Mm. And that is... No, no, I've got... No, there's, there's not... It's written by a comic book writer. No, yeah, like Wanted, yeah. Yeah, okay, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like like all the... Jeez, it's boring. Anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's lay off Heart of Stone. We'll probably... Ben, we were talking the other day in our real lives mm. about how... At least 70% of the things we talk about we end up not watching or reviewing. Yes, but we failed horribly. I just have a funny feeling we will see this. Yeah, I think we might. I just have a feeling that we'll see it. And the two of us I... will be hungover from yeah. a night out in the town. Exactly. We'll be absolutely blasted. We'll have the remains of a kebab in our stomachs. We'll sit down and go, what the fuck is on? And there will be Gal Gadot's face looking mildly smug. Yeah. Little bit going, of a fringe. Come on, watch me. Yeah, and we will. And we will. And we will. Fuck's um, sake. What's next? <laughs> Michael, what speaking of films I actually will probably watch, we got a very unique trailer this week. Something that is quite unique in the movie landscape at the moment. We got a trailer for They Cloned Tyrone. Benjamin, the absolute cheek of this trailer after just having exposed us to Heart of Stone to show us something with some sort of attempt at having a style. Yeah. Style, flair, comedy, timing, throwback, nostalgia, humour. Oh! Temerity. Satire. The absolute cheek of them, Ben. It has um, my favourite man who shouts at you in the cinema, John Boyega. John Boyega's so good at a shout. He's very good at it. He's always shouting at you in the cinema. I miss Mark Strong. This is this is very specific. This is very specific to people who mostly go to view cinemas. Yes. But John Boyega is always shouting at you about not. Is it John Boyega that does the new show where he's like, "Oi, got yeah. you, didn't I?" And it's yeah. just like, "What, John Boyega? Leave me alone!" You know what? I've assumed it's John Boyega in the same way I assumed that the previous person was Mark Strong, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's impersonators. That's racist. Um, come here to me, Michael. Come here to me. All black people sound the same to you, Michael. That's that's what you're Mark saying. Mark Strong's there. not black, Ben. Yes, he is. Yeah, I don't oh, see colour, Michael. Oh, okay. And that's why I'm not allowed to drive. Um, come here to me. Come here <laughs> yes. to me. Come here to me. Yes. This brings it? us very, very tastily to a classic Ben segment, which is Ben's retractions. <laughs> Yes, very good. What I don't understand about how this movie is, how is Jamie Foxx in it when he's also dead? <laughs> so I'd like to point out to the listeners, ladies and gentlemen, that Jamie Foxx, I, I never claimed Jamie Foxx was dead. I did claim he was in a coma, a medically yeah. induced coma. And he was at one point. Okay. He was at one point. However, by the time I decided to report that news... That had turned out to not be the case anymore. Yeah, yeah, he'd been fine for like a month and a half. But that's grand, Ben. There's no journalistic rigour expected of podcasts. I'll just I'll just never have a moment of spontaneity again, is yes. what I'll do. I'll just Very avoid good. that happening in the future. Um, we also got uh, Tayon Paris in this, Michael. Is that her from out of being Photon? Yeah, it's Photon. Photon. Marvel's She's Photon. Photon. She's doing her best Kiki Palmer. She is, and doing it well, I might add. Uh, Kiki Palmer is currently watching that trailer going, son of a bitch, stole my job. She's up in my bit. She's just up here doing my bit. So, Michael, this is kind of, this is kind of a black exploitation throwback, Michael. We've seen this a few times. We have um, Black Dynamite, which was a big one of that. Um, Black Klansman, which was a very popular Spike Lee joint, as the man mm. himself would say. And then it has huge swings of Thank You For Calling. Do you remember Thank You For Calling? Yes. Yeah, so Lakeith Stanfield plays a young black man who becomes a telemarketer 
and Donald Glover, not Donald Glo- sorry, Danny Glover, not Donald Glover. <laughs> yes. Uh, mixed it nearly nearly got me. Danny Glover teaches him to use his white voice on the thing, and then it becomes a bizarre kind of chaotic journey into how white people exploit black people. Ben, without wanting to give too much away about what I'm thinking of, is that the one with the horses? Yeah, that's the one with the horses. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, but the, like this, this kind of new wave of satirical black exploitation is a real movie genre that's coming into its own, Michael. We're, we're mm. seeing it pop up all over the place. The three examples just mentioned being the most obvious. Yes. And then we have examples of it in a lot of the work of Jordan Peele. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jordan Peele may be toned down a little bit, but they're not pure what we would have called in the in the early 2000s black exploitation. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's a very fun look. So the, the premise of this looks very very simple, Michael. They've cloned Tyrone and it, Who's it Tyrone, seems to anyway? be it seems to be a white plot. <laughs> Classic whitey. Classic whitey keeping the man down. Um, but come here to me, Michael. What? What? Come here to me. What? It looks to have, you know, a very humorous take on the white exploitation of black people. Oh yeah. Um, and cloning seems to be at the heart of a lot of this, Michael. I'm thinking in particular of the classic debut of Jordan Peele, bloody... Nope. N- no, no, not, not nope. nope. The uh, one before, us? twice. Them? Not us, not nope. No? Get out. Get out. Thank you very much. So it, it, cloning, Michael, seems to be kind of an obsessive tone at the moment and really becomes a, a kind of a, a useful narrative for the, the white exploitation of black bodies. Get out wasn't about cloning. That was about replacing people in bodies, though. Yeah, but the, them was just Us was about black. cloning as well. Us. All about yeah, us. Is it called us? Mad for cloning. Us. Yeah. Yeah, us. That's just flat out about cloning. That's just flat out about cloning, Michael. Mm-hmm. Just clones everywhere. As opposed that to the third one, which is about the, aliens. That recent uh, Alexander Skarsgård one as well. Bloody Infinite Pool? Infinity, Infinity Pool? Pool? Yeah, yeah. He's like, can I got that wrong. We both got that wrong. But anyway, this looks fun, Michael. Uh, very enjoyable. I'm a huge Black Dynamite fan. I really enjoy Black Klansman. And thank you for calling. It's one of my all-time favourite bizarre kind of surreal films. So Very strange. That whole thing with the horses. That whole thing with the horses, Michael. Again, not referencing Nope, but a different film about black people working with horses. <laughs> Much weirder. Much weirder. Bootsy Collins, Michael. Funk and soul legend Bootsy, Bootsy Collins' um, directorial debut. And as weird as you would expect from a master of funk. And nothing like the trailer suggests is going to be. Big fucking lie of a trailer. <laughs> Absolute lie of a trailer. Unlike, say, They Clone Tyrone, which I think you're going to get exactly what you're expecting. We might get a big fucking lie of a trailer, Michael. We oh, don't you think know. so? Oh, that'd be interesting. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Mm. That'd be good. John, it's just going to be John Boyega shouting at you about turning off your phone for two hours. Yeah, just just stop. Just turn it <laughs> off. Turn that phone off. Yeah. And that's all I'm we're going to get. Michael... I'm going to go watch that one. That one looks genuinely good. As opposed to the next thing on the list, Michael, which, which I've forgotten to make notes about because I don't know anything <laughs> about it. Babylon 5! Babylon 5 into the multiverse. Everyone's in the multiverse, Ben. Even late 90s TV shows now for some reason. Yeah, you'll notice on the, the running order, Michael, I put it down as Babylon 5 Return to the Multiverse. Yeah, I, I don't think remember. Babylon 5 had anything to do with the multiverse, did it? No, not really, no. But no. now everyone's multiverses, Ben. We had an episode a few months ago called Everyone's Multiverses because now... It's called The Road Home. Babylon 5, The Road Home. Very good. And it's weird. It's um, it's a 25-year-later follow-up to a cult-hit TV show. Very unusual. Very strange. Very, very strange, Ben. And it, it stars um, the, the character John Sheridan... Yeah, I, I assume it's John Sheridan. No, it is John Sheridan, and um, he was. You see, he was in charge of Babylon Five, Ben. But the weirdest thing for me about it, as someone who watched Babylon Five, is old Bruce Boxleitner. Is that his name or Boxenleitner? The I, the actor who played John Sheridan appears to be voicing him in this trailer. Bizarre. But he is thirty years older 
than he was when he played that character at that age. And to me, all of this trailer very much sounded like a frail older man playing a 35-year-old. <laughs> Did you pick up on that? Or was it yeah, just no, me it, having it, seen the show? that it, that's It's a really very obvious. cheap animation as well, Michael. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Uh, I don't even really know how it got put in front of me. I think uh, YouTube said, here, you're a science fine, science fine man. You have a look at this. Tell me what you think. So just remind me, Michael, which one of the 90s space exploration shows is Babylon 5? Babylon 5 is the one where there there was a big war. Mm-hmm. And after the big war, the humans are trying to do a big space station. And they do Babylon 1, and that's no use. And no, no. they do Babylon 2, no use. Babylon 3 and 4, also no use. And eventually they do Babylon 5, Ben. That's a lot of useless space stations to get to a decent one. Exactly, yeah. And um, what what kind of made it special at the time was yeah. it predated Star Trek Deep Space Nine by a couple of years, I think. Oh, yeah. And it introduced the concept of sci-fi, televised, serialized sci-fi with character arcs and season-wide arcs and um, cliffhangers and to-be-continueds. And it was kind of the prototype in a lot of ways of modern sci-fi TV, sci-fi storytelling. As opposed to Alien of the Week. As opposed to Alien of the Week or Adventure of the Week or Mission of the Week or, you know, it was heavily, heavily serialized. My goodness. Um, And its most iconic plotline was the, the Shadow War, Ben where the young races of the galaxy Mm -hmm. had to put aside their differences and try to team up to put a stop to the war that was taking place between the elder races of the galaxy, who were mysterious, unknowable, vague, terrifying creatures. Fucking elder people. Exactly, Ben. But it was written by J. Michael Strahinsky, who is... Oh, yeah, him off the comics. Him off the comics, and he like he got his start in comics off the back of... Well, I don't know if this is a, the right timeline, but he was very exciting when he got into comics because it was the writer of Babylon 5 is coming to comics. Now, remember that. I've read some of his stuff. I read Rising Stars, Michael, when it came out. Yes, you would have. That was him. And it um, wasn't great. No, no, I, like... I think, like, the the... The thing, the thing about Babylon 5 that made it exciting was the serial nature of it. Yeah. And the fact that J. Michael Strahinsky famously, and now I'm remembering an interview from Wizard magazine from probably 22 years ago. So there That's may be details. Ago. There may be details wrong in this. But he famously plotted out the whole thing pretty much in advance, including contingency plans for what would happen to characters if actors became unavailable. That's insane. It's too much. Which which was something that bothered a lot of people about shows back then, that like uh, a a plot point might have to be dropped because the actor's salary negotiation for next season falls through. Yeah, it's no good. Yeah, yeah. And I think it might have been season one that kind of taught him those lessons, the Hmm. kind of lessons of producing TV. But this, yeah, this is weird. This is a weird thing to have an animated show come out 25 years later out of nowhere with some of the same cast. But I'll probably watch it, Ben. You will, Michael, because you're a little little 90s sci-fi nerd. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You love it. Oh, yeah. You love it. Yeah. And sure, why wouldn't you, Michael? Why wouldn't you? Good nerdy fun. Michael, speaking of people inexplicably trying to get home from a timeline they don't really want to be in. Yes, go on. That's how I felt after seeing The Flash on Wednesday. (laughs) Now, you shut your liar mouth, Ben, because we went to see The Flash and we both came out of seeing The Flash on Wednesday relatively satisfied. Michael, Michael, they say time heals all wounds and I'm Mm. not sure that's true. I think time's given me some fresh cuts. Yeah, yeah. Big, deep gashes, Ben. Big, deep gashes, Michael. You and I... Hold on. Before you say anything more... What we're going to try and do here is we'll try and do a few minutes of spoiler-free and mm-hmm. then we'll just lay into the spoilers. 
Yeah. So you and I, Michael, intrepidly set off with good friend of the podcast, Shane. Yes. And against our better judgment, Michael. Yes. We decided to go and see a film which has been so plagued by controversy thanks to its lead actor. Not just its lead actor. It's also been in development for 12 years. 12 motherfucking years. <laughs> or so. Maybe not quite that long, but so a long. very long time. So long. And we decided, look, you and I, we do a pop culture podcast. And we decided we'd go and have a look at this. And the way that I justified it to myself in my head, Michael, was loads of people worked on this movie. It's Sasha Calais' first attempt at big stardom. We're backing a, a young actress in her fledgling career. Michael Keaton's Batman again. That, that had me, Ben. That had us. And so we went to see this, Michael. And I have to say, I do think that the Warner Brothers marketing department is paying an unholy amount of money to uh, to influencers to try and get them to give this a big review. Because I, I follow quite a few nerd reviewers, if you want, on TikTok, Michael. And all mm. I've heard for the last couple of weeks is this movie redefines DC. This movie saves the superhero genre. This movie does some things I've never seen in a superhero movie. And Michael, Michael, it doesn't do any of that. No, it doesn't at all. It doesn't, do it doesn't any of at that. all. It's a hot mess. And it's, it's fine. Yes. Let's just let's just you you correctly pointed out, Michael. We were significantly grand coming out of <laughs> yeah. the cinema. We were whelmed. We weren't yeah. over or under. We were just whelmed. Yeah. And it was fine. There's some great moments. There's some nice beats. If it isn't one of the most generic superhero things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, it's dumb as a bag of bricks. So there's there's a few things that really kind of jump out. Let's let's go through the basics first of all. Unfortunately. Yes. Ezra Miller is quite good as Barry Allen. I kind of agree. Uh, A lot of reports said Ezra Miller is unbearable, but... I thought that for this version of Barry that they were going for, I thought Ezra Miller's performances were quite good. Now, yeah. I know, like, the reluctant idiot hero gradually having to mature and the, like, dumbass teenager who just got powers, they're not the most challenging of roles anyway. No, and certainly not for them. No, you know, that, but, that's been their character for a long time. But Ezra Miller, I thought, does have a very good screen presence. You could find the character annoying, and I think you probably should. Yes, but the character, think, especially in the first 30 hour, minutes. I think you can kind of, without, this isn't a spoiler, I don't think, because it's in the trailers. But there's a tonal shift around Batman. Seismic, yeah. Yeah, so the first hour or so pre-Batman, it's kind of a slapstick flash comedy. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I don't love the slapstick flash, but I think Ezra Miller's performance of the slapstick flash is pretty good. I think Ezra Miller's screen presence is excellent. And there's been a lot of talk of why didn't they just get Grant Gustin? And I find Grant Gustin a little bit bland. I find Grant Gustin a little bit irritating, but that's that's going to cost us, Michael. We're, we're about to lose. We're about to have a campaign launched against us. Well, I mean, I don't find Grant Gustin the man bland because I don't know him, but I find his Barry Allen, his kind of noble, sincere... Baz. Honest, boring-ass Barry. I, I, I would rather they do something with him. And Ezra Miller with his... With, with, their weird face and expressions and character choices. At least it's something. Yeah, so I, I think you've kind of hit a nail on the head. There's a, there is a point of a tonal seismic shift, and I think you could almost directly see it as a handover of script from one writer to another. <laughs> or one version to another. Or one version to another, because one of the things I pointed out to you, Michael, is there's a lot of beats set up in those first 40 minutes that are never revisited. They are just abandoned. Without spoiling, can you 
can you point some out? Uh, so in the very beginning, Michael, we are introduced to Barry, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but he essentially says that he is the cleanup crew for the Justice League. He does, yes. And he's not regarded seriously by any of the other heroes that we encounter in the film, at least in the first 40 minutes. Yes. And he's a relatively competent superhero in the first 40 minutes, but he is overlooked by the Justice League, as he sees it. Mm -hmm. And then, Michael, we move into the characterization of Barry, and they try and give us an idea of why he's so obsessed with justice and taking it on. But... All of a sudden, Michael, there's there's a significant jump in tone from the first time that he time travels. And this is not a spoiler because that's definitely in the trailer. Yeah, but, it is, yeah. Uh, from the first time he time travels, there's a massive leap into this driven character who is only focused on one goal and all of his doubts about being a superhero and being part of the Justice League are just thrown away. Oh, it's yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. It's just, it's done. I gotta save my mom. Yeah, and then suddenly it's mom. I gotta save my mom. Yeah, and it's just bizarre to see that switch. Somebody went to the Zack Schneider school of writing, and they were just like, "What if we just amp up the trauma?" Hmm. Benjamin, though, speaking of amping up the trauma, Michael Keaton was great. (laughs) Michael Keaton plays this phenomenal kind of Dexy's Midnight Runner version of Bruce Wayne. Brilliant. Fabulous. And I'm here for it. He's fucking bizarre. He's great. I mean, it's it's an extended cameo. Really. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's very extended cameo. He's a plot bridge for most yeah. of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't do very much, but he does get a couple of very cool action scenes. He does. They're excellent. He's fun. Like, he lends a very necessary kind of grounding screen presence and they need to cash in on Michael Keaton's Batman to kind of give fans that currency Mm. Um, and Supergirl mm. was fine but barely in it very good a very fun version of the character not given a lot to do almost nothing six lines of dialogue if even if even and Mm. probably could have been much better utilised probably very good screen presence, very believable, angry Kryptonian. Probably could have done more with it. Yeah, yeah. Ba- barely a character. Yeah, very strange. Yeah. There are some nice comedic moments in this, Michael, but the the most heinous thing, I think, for me, and I think we both felt this on the time, the fucking CGI. The CGI in this is absolutely abysmal. It's so bad. It's so bad that Andy Muschietti, Ben, the director, has kind of come out and said, oh, no, it's like that on purpose. Fuck off, Andy. Andy, yeah. Andy Muschietti has come out with a few a few zingers over the last <laughs> couple of days, and I will be getting to that in a second. Yeah, but the CGI in this is absolutely abysmal. Without going into spoilers, there's a humorous um, speedster slow down look at all the stuff we can do while time is basically stopped moment in this but the cgi in it is like playstation 2 era cgi it is absolutely abysmal the characters in this are less believable as humans than the lions in the live action remake of the lion king john favreau delivers he really does what? He really does. John Favreau delivers. He's the man who directed The Lion King, the live action. Did he? Lion King. Yeah, did John he not Favreau. Do, uh, did he not do um, Jungle Book? John Favreau. Was it John Favreau? John Favreau. Get out of here. Doing well, everything uh, for Disney. Well, speaking of that, John Favreau, like Iron Man, 2008's Iron Man. Much better. Much better CG than this. Much and better. This is inundated with bad CG. The The action sequences have bad CG. The famous cameos have bad CG. The the world that's created by the Speed Force, abysmal CG. But yeah. there are even bad CG moments where there shouldn't be. Like, Barry is just talking, and his face has been CG'd terribly. There's a bizarre scene towards the end of the film, Michael, where they obviously just rushed it. They obviously went, we need to get this out now, so make mm. that happen. And what we got was Barry Allen's face just not functioning (laughs) it's weird 
The CG is appalling. It is the worst visual effects I have seen in years. Yeah, there's there is a unique kind of concept in animation, Michael, and we we've touched on this once or twice, I think, in in the world of our podcast in our little in our little closed universe, and it's called the uncanny valley and the uncanny valley is the the relation between the object's degree of resemblance to a human being and the emotional response to the object which is a very complex way of saying is if if something tries to resemble human characteristics but misses certain key aspects usually around the eyes it will do nothing but unnerve the observer also known as the polar express effect also, yeah in in famous pop culture is that but Somebody, yes, in the Flash CG department, and I'm not certain it wasn't Andy Machete. Mm. Went, oh, I like that. Yeah, let's just do it's, that for the whole thing. Let's do it for the whole thing, Benjamin. I actually thought the Uncanny Valley was just where this was set. Ah, <laughs> very good, Michael. Very I th- good. I thought that up before the podcast. I thought it was just set in the Uncanny Valley. The CG is just fucking abysmal. It's some of the worst effects I've ever seen put the screen. But then, mm. there are flashes of brilliance, pat- Absolutely. pardon the pun. Like the, the very first run that The Flash goes on is probably the best live-action speedster shot we've seen since Quicksilver blew the world away with that time-in-a-bottle scene the first time in X-Men First Class. Absolutely. I really miss that scene in X-Men First Class. Well, that scene in X-Men First Class is responsible for a lot of stupid shit that's happened. Not necessarily. For, it wasn't First Class. It was the second one, wasn't it? No, it was First Class, wasn't it? No, they rescue him from the prison. So it oh, was it, oh, it was Days of Future Past. Days of Future Past. Oh, you're very right. Not, not, not to correct you on the podcast, but just to correct you on yeah, the yeah, podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Work away, work away. Come here to me, Michael. Let's lean into some spoilers here. Let's let's All get right. into it. Let's strap on the wellies and have a wade into Lake Spoilt. Oh, Lake Spoilt! Watch out, everybody, for anacondas or big crocodiles. Ben, those are spoilers. The cameos. Ah, oh, Michael, fucking robbed. <laughs> we were robbed. <laughs> Right. So we were very excited about these cameos. I allowed myself to get too excited, Ben. And you infected me in the car on the way there. <laughs> so we were expecting like an end game level of superheroes showing up to give Barry a dig out. Yeah. Um, and we were expecting like, I have my fingers crossed from Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. Mm. We were thinking, I don't know, who's going to come? Some of the CW characters. Maybe. The, Ju- the Justice League. Maybe. We're, we're going to have like a Crisis on Infinite Earths multiverse event where every DC character from the last 20 years comes to help Barry fight whatever is going on. No, we it's Batman we, and Supergirl. We didn't get that, Michael. No. We got... So, for those who have seen the film, you know what the special effect is when it comes to time travel. For those who haven't seen the film and don't really care, it is a zoetrope, essentially. When Barry wants to time travel, he he runs at an immensely fast speed. He ends up in an amber bubble. And then what happens is events in his life kind of rise and fall in a strange repetition um, that mimics a, a zoetrope. And a zoetrope is the is the weird revolving visual style that we got the first moving pictures on. It's, it's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. They're the kind of spheres or bubbles or wrapped around things, and you spin them at high speed and you get the image. And it was a very cool effect, Michael. In fairness. The first time they did it, yeah. As a concept, good idea. And then, mm. Michael, they were just like, yeah, but we can cut the budget on it because people get it now. So we'll just do it again. <laughs> Well, they never did it well. Right from the start, everyone mm. was all plasticky and plasticine and awful looking. Yeah. And I think I think they said, yeah, this is stylistic. This is intentional. Why? Why did you not do it properly? You mm. could have even done it, Michael, as a bloody flashing series of images. Not unlike the Marvel logo. Just do that and repeat. That would have been fine. I, I thought it was a cool concept, but it was horribly let down by the gross CGI of it. Yeah. But then... Mm. They use that same horrible gross CGI for the denouement. Yeah. So what happens is, and this is full spoilers now, so if you don't want this spoiled, it it turns out that each one of the multiverses or each one of the universes within the multiverse 
are encased in their own colour-coded sphere. <laughs> and that sphere is supposed to be a similar zoetrope effect to the thing. And towards the end of the film, because of Barry's actions, these worlds are colliding. And yeah. you might think that this is a perfect time, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce the CW Flash, who we've already have a crossover with. That's yep. happened. There has it's been an Ezra Miller-Grant Gustin crossover in the CW. You mm-hmm. might think that it's a good time to introduce Robert Pattinson. Oh, wouldn't that be exciting? That'd be fun. It's an established property, very popular, excellent currency in terms of fan service. You know, mm. that might work well. All right, we couldn't get them. Fair enough. That's a very serious movie. What about, what about getting Henry Cavill? Yeah, oh, that'd be good. Why don't we just do that? What about Zachary Levy? Oh, yeah, from Shazam. What about Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who'll be in anything? Yeah, it's Black Adam. He'll, just he'll be in a jungle him. vest, but he'll, he'll, we can say it's Black Adam. And then somebody went, oh, what about, what about, what about Christopher Reeves? Yeah, why don't we just pillage the graves of the dead and put a horrible, rubbery, plasticine Christopher Reeves and Helen Slater up there? To which everybody went, I don't think Gen Z knows who Christopher Reeves is. <laughs> and they said, no, we'll put him in anyway. And put then anyway. they said, He's all right, all right. Well, if we do that, we're going to have to come up with a big heavy hitter that everybody knows about to offset the slightly obscure feel of Christopher Reeves' Superman. No, hold on. No, hold on. I'm not having this. I like where you're going with this bit, but I'm not having you call the original superhero movie star obscure. All right. Just for because the- 17-year-olds don't know who he is. For the purposes of my bit, can I have it? No. Okay. Take it back. I, t- I take it back. it back. Then somebody said, we need a real heavy hitter now to yeah. offset the slightly forgotten first superhero film. Oh. Christopher Reeves. And no. I went, yeah, let's use that black and white Superman from back in the day. <laughs> no one's ever heard of him. No one's ever heard of him. And they went, yeah, 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 all right, okay, I'll give you that one as well. But now we need a real heavy hitter. And somebody who was listening to a very funny pop culture podcast with Kevin Smith went, oh, I have an idea. I have an idea. There's this story that Kevin Smith tells about how he got a look at the script for a Superman movie starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah, Yeah. everyone will know about that. Let's do that. And in fairness, Michael, that landed far better than it should have. Because the three of us went, there were three grown men. In the yeah. middle row of View Cinema in Libby Valley, they went, Hey! Hey! Whoop, whoop! Nicholas Cage fighting a giant spider. Fucking mental. <laughs> Fucking mental. Sorry, excuse me. Rubbery, plastic Nicholas Cage fighting And a then giant we spider. got that, Michael. None of those actors were there. None of those actors were on set. All of them signed away the rights to their face for this bit. And well, it's bizarre. I think Christopher Reeves did, because he was dead before that concept even existed. Mm. Someone bizarre. in his family did. Fucking mental. Mad. Mad stuff altogether. But anyway, I did like, though, the fact that um, they couldn't save the day. I quite like that. Th- that's an interesting concept. That, but that, that Michael, is a, is a flash concept as old as time. Go Barry on. Allen is forced to confront the notion that no matter how fast you run, you mm. can't outrun the present. You can't, you can't change things. The outcome is the outcome, more often than not. There has very rarely been a Flash story where him running back in time doesn't fuck everything up royally. Good. Yeah. You can hear more about that, ladies and gentlemen, on last week's episode on The Flashpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but come here this, to me, Michael. This, this is movie. where this is where Sorry, there's man. a lot of hooks to put out by this director. So Anthony Machetti earlier in the week, not only has he claimed that his CGI was intentional, Michael, but he also said something along the lines of, oh, you know, we borrowed some of Flashpoint, but we didn't borrow too much because nobody knows where this is going. We want to keep you guessing. Nobody knows where this is going except anybody who's ever watched the CW Flash. Go on. Or anybody who's ever watched Flashpoint. Or anybody who's ever picked up a comic book with The Flash. The cheek of this man to turn around and claim that he has created some kind of original story for The Flash from a timeline gone wrong escapade Mm -hmm. is... Oh, the balls, Michael. The balls. Because all he's done is he's taken Flashpoint. Yes. Superman Red for some reason. Mm, Delicious. And mashed them together. He then watched a few seasons of the CW Flash and went, oh, I like that concept of uh, 
the black speedster. I like oh, that yeah, concept of death as the speedster. That's good. I'm going to take that, but I'm just going to make it Barry and all ugly. It's Barry and all ugly. But um, Savitar, Ben, the black speedster in the Flash TV series, is Barry and all ugly. Yeah. Oh, wait. Never mind. I just never mind. do that. I'll just the do- only thing, Ben, the only thing that separates this from Heart of Stone is that this doesn't have Gal Gadot in it. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, no, it does. It does, in her favourite role as a green screen stander in front of. (laughs) I reckon that they just filmed all of Gal Gadot's recent appearances on the same day. Yeah, they definitely did. They've got, they have, they have a folder at DC called Gal Gadot. Hmm. And it's not the folder you think it is. You just click on it and then there's one of several lines of dialogue, smug expressions and a few power stances. And they just, you just drag and drop. Straight in. Yeah. In fact, I think somebody might just be mid-journeying them one frame (laughs) at a time, slapping them together. Ben, I mid-journey some of the cameos for this and it looks better. It's fucking hard not to. Um, But come here to me, Michael. We are being... I I fear I've infected you with lambastery. No, no, I had also, I had very much changed my tune on this movie since we saw it. I enjoyed it at the time. So I, I. I had a I had a pleasant two hour experience in the cinema watching this big dumb stupid thing, and I loved the Batman stuff. I thought it was interesting that they couldn't save the day, and I was always excited about where it was going. Mm. But the overall package, once I knew where it was going, was very disappointing. One of the most interesting things, Michael, there's there's a scene in the middle of this film, and I think in the grain of that scene, you have a great film. And it's it's it is the scene where one Barry realizes that this can't be changed, and another Barry is too naive to pick up the hint. And it's phenomenal. Like there's there's a great scene where Esmer Miller is acting against themselves, and they are genuinely. It's kind of heartbreaking to watch one character drive themselves demented. In the pursuit of, no, I'll fix this. I can fix mm. this. This is fine. And the other character who is just who, who has just realised and is kind of crippled by the realisation that there's no fucking fixing this. Mm. There's no getting away with this. There isn't a scenario where you win. Very good. That, that five-minute loop, great. Should have done more with that. Instead Mm. of stuffing cameos in. Stupid cameos. Stupid cameos that didn't serve the plot. I wouldn't even mind, Michael, if we'd gotten hints earlier. So, it's funny. We spoke there about, you know, everybody wants a multiverse. Everybody wants to play with the multiverse. There's no point in including the multiverse in the way that they think it is at the end of this film. The, The multiple multiverses crashing together is an unearned moment. Yes, we get one alternate timeline with Keaton Batman mm. and uh, Sasha Kale as Supergirl. Yes, that's earned. And we explore that timeline and we do it well. Like, it's fun to see the world from a different Flash's point of view with slight changes. There's even a weird spaghetti metaphor that I kind of enjoyed from Michael yes. Keaton. Michael Keaton's great. But then, Michael, they just include all these other multiverses suddenly and they say, oh, yeah, 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 Barry's making them all collide. But, Why? Yeah. But these, um, the, the the cameos in it, Ben, DC was rightly lambasted 10 years ago in BVS for having its most important cameos in the fo- form of file folders on a computer mm. that that Bruce watches. And he sees a video of act, but these are that again. They don't come to help. They don't affect the plot. They don't do anything. They just look. We just oh. like in particular the Nicolas Cage when we just watch a thirty-second action scene with CGI Nick Cage that has nothing to do with anything that had happened before or after. Nothing. It's just here's a little clip of Nick Cage as Superman. What do you think of that? So strange. Did you listen to that podcast with Kevin Smith? What do you think? Look, there it is. It's a big spider. I couldn't, the more I thought about it having left, Michael, the more I went, what in God's name was that about? (laughs) Yeah, mad shit altogether. And the more that that split 
between the first 30 minutes of that film and the rest kind of hit me. Very good. Ben. Yeah. Why did we watch Star Trek Nemesis? <laughs> so apparently there's a Star Trek thing coming out, Michael, and we put what? this to- This is what happens when we don't have a fucking June production meeting. I, uh, we were supposed to. You were tired. We didn't. Oh, fuck you. Oh, I'll, fuck you, you, you unreasonable text. sod. I'll put the text. I'll put the text on oh, Instagram, Ben. Oh, fuck you. How dare you? How dare you confront me with the consequences of my own actions? <laughs> oh, what's this? Consequences? The cheek of you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Michael. We should have had one. We didn't. We'll be rectifying that very soon. Um, we, we decided we'd watch Star Trek Nemesis, Michael. And you and I, because we don't really like ourselves, Michael. Why else do you start a podcast? Um, But we don't really like ourselves, so we put ourselves through 2002's Star Trek Nemesis. Benjamin, let's play one of our famous games. Yeah, go on. I'd like you to close your eyes. Mm. And I'd like you for you to imagine a Star Trek movie. Mm. And in the Star Trek movie, uh, everything seems to be going pretty well for the crew. Yeah. Until out of nowhere comes a mysterious figure with... mm, mysterious links to the captain's past dun, dun, dun. and this mysterious figure has somehow got hold of a terrifying super weapon oh no and they're based on their grudge with the captain of the starship mm-hmm. they're going to use this mysterious super weapon uh-huh. to extract revenge but Ben you needn't worry because the cold and logicless and emotional member of the crew will step in at the last second and sacrifice themselves to destroy this terrifying weapon. Oh, yeah. But don't worry, mm. because you'll get a hint from something that happened earlier in the film that maybe that crew member's logic or brain has survived and in a future film we might be able to go back and get them. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, so what film do you think I was describing? You're describing the absolutely seminally classic Star Trek Wrath of Khan. No, I was describing Star Trek Nemesis. Oh, fuck. This one. Did you oh. not watch it? Oh. oh. I doubled the bit back on you, Ben. You did. I see what you did. I see what you did, you <laughs> sly. You minx. You're a real Tom Hardy. You're a real oh, Tom Hardy. Oh, Benjamin. I'm a real tricky Tom. Tom Hardy's in this. Yeah. What's his name? Shuyakun? Shinzon. Shinzon. So, like, Ladies and gentlemen, since I've already revealed Ben was too tired to do the production meeting, I also want to give a further glimpse behind the curtain, where upon, I was watching Star Trek Nemesis the other day, and I texted Benjamin, and I said, Benjamin, the character Shinzon is just Bane. Yes. And Benjamin texted me back, and he said, Shinzon from Star Trek Nemesis. And I said, how many fucking Shinzons do you know? How... How many Shinzons do you know, Ben? Michael, Michael, this film must, this film must piss off Star Trek fans. It does, it does. I, I'm um, not a Star Trek fan, Michael, but we talked last week about how the the film uh, Apocalypse War, the animated film Apocalypse War, is a pain to watch for DC fans. And I can only imagine that that pain is the same that Star Trek fans must watch when they watch Nemesis. Okay, so Ben, I was a huge Star Trek fan when this came out. I was an enormous Star Trek fan throughout the 90s. Star Trek was my thing. Right. Much less so these days. Um, Not as a result of, like, the kickback against the woke brigade. Not one of them. No, I started drifting away from Star Trek around the time of Enterprise. With Scott Dracula. Oh, yeah. In I the love Scott Dracula. Two, yeah, Scott Dracula is great. Son of Dracula. And um, so, but up to that point, Benjamin, I could, when Star Trek Nemesis came out, I could tell you the name of every episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in the order it was aired. Oh, yeah. Like, I knew Star Trek. And the irony of Star Trek Nemesis was that whoever made Star Trek Nemesis, in the complete opposite of me, had never seen an episode of Star Trek. But that's that's genuinely true. I know. (laughs) He had never seen... He was an action movie director who had never seen an an episode of Star Trek. And he had 
65-year-old Shakespearean theatre actor. What's his name? Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. Playing thoughtful, cerebral, tactical Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Not like he was even Captain James T. Kirk. Like he was fucking Han Solo. Very strange. One of the worst misunderstandings of what Star Trek is supposed to be I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, it's so interesting. The, the the production history of this film, Michael, is essentially the 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 missing key that you have to understanding why this is such a mess. So this is the tenth installment in the Star Trek movie franchise. Okay, and previous to that, we had just had Insurrection. Yes. And I believe that was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yes, a.k.a. William T. Riker. Yeah. And so, if nothing else, that's at least a man who kind of gets Star Trek. Intimately familiar with Star Trek. Yeah. He gets it. He understands how important it is to fans. And has said since that came out, Michael, that... He would have directed it had he been asked, but he didn't get that chance. So Mm. I did a bit of digging into this, Michael, and I I wanted to understand what was going on and and how this kind of got made. So it turns out, Michael, that Brett Spiner, the the man behind Data, Brent Spiner, sorry, Brent Spiner, the man behind Data, he was in a Broadway revival of a, a very famous Broadway musical called 1776. Go on. And the man who had worked on that and had brought that revival forward and kind of updated the script was John Logan. John Logan from Ireland's Eurovision entries, Johnny Logan. That No, not that guy. But John Logan, who wrote the script for Ridley Scott's seminal film, Gladiator. Oh, go on. So John Logan was a proper screenwriter and it turned out through their conversations that he was a massive Star Trek fan. Mm. And so Brent Spiner and John Logan worked on a little treatment for the 10th Star Wars or Star Trek film. Well, it's going to get me in trouble. Shouldn't have said Star Wars. That's much more going to get you in trouble than some of that racist stuff you said. Yeah, that'll probably get me in proper trouble. So anyway, they came up with a treatment, Michael, and they brought it to Patrick Stewart because they knew they wouldn't be able to get execs on side if bloody Patrick Stewart wasn't on board. So they got... They got old Paddy Stewart and they pitched Mm. to him and Paddy Stewart said, that's a ripping good idea. Let's go pitch it to the execs. And they all wandered off. And because of Patrick Stewart's kind of vehement support for this, they went, yeah, Grant, let's do that. Let's do that. And one of the things that they did in this treatment, Michael, because they felt that insurrection was a bit too fun, Mm. was they made it a bit dark and serious. They made it very serious. And nothing, Michael, improves the quality of a film like strapping on the edgelord helmet and just going for it you know just fucking go for it just get young Tom Hardy in to be a young Jean-Luc Picard yeah that's great isn't it we love that nobody cared who I was when I was in the Raymond Dilithium mines <laughs> but that's it's just Bane <laughs> they threw me in the mines I didn't see daylight or starlight until I was already a man but that's what it is. That That is essentially how it's treated. And it's really fucking bizarre. So- <laughs> it's bonkers choice. You know what's weird about it though, Ben? Mm. Uh, pardon me for cutting across you. That's all it, right. This is, it's, it's so close to Wrath of Khan in so many ways. Like even the bit I did earlier left out the fact that the, the big denouement is in a nebula that limits communications and weapons fire. Classic. And is... Uh, like it's 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 a re it's the next generation remake of Wrath of Khan, and they needed to pull Picard's nemesis from somewhere, but it's the it's the Star Trek film that is the least about the Enterprise crew you've ever seen. This is this is this is Shinzon's movie. Yeah, where's Worf? This is the Worf is barely in this. Where's Worf? Your favorite character, Georgie LaForge. Geordie LaForge, where's he? He's oh, oh, barely wait, we have a bit of exposition we need. Geordie, explain that. Geordie, where's Beverly Crusher? Oh, 
But, but uh, oh, she's she's about to be head of medical for Starfleet, is she? That's good. We just won't talk that's to good. her again. Yeah, that's enough out of her. Can we get more of Tom Hardy? Yeah, get more Tom in there. He doesn't really look like Jean-Luc Picard, though. We'll give him a prosthetic nose that's oddly noticeable on occasion and very uncomfortable. Have some little differences. A broken nose here. A broken jaw here. I'm what you would look like after a lifetime at the hands of Romulan slave drivers. Michael, very strange choices. One of the only redeeming factors of this is B4. Uh, is he? But that arc is quite nice where Data is kind of forced to confront his sentience thing, um, mm. you know, and trying to discover the limits of what he can actually pass on to another one. But then it's just a MacGuffin, Michael. It's just a useful plot point. So there are a couple of good things about it, though. I really like that um, it shows the Enterprise crew, but specifically writer Brent Spiner's character Data and star Jean-Luc Picard. It shows them as very competent. I love the bit where they kid, they use, they teleport B4 over and then kidnap Picard. Yeah. And then it's revealed that they, the Enterprise crew, the best and brightest in the Federation, predicted that. Yeah, they knew. And, it, and they turns out it, they swapped data and it was all a trap. Great stuff altogether. Fabulous. Like there, there are some moments like that that's really good. This is just a weird action movie. Why are Picard and Data and Worf in a dune buggy? Michael, what the fuck was the dune buggy scene? The fucking dune buggy. Why didn't they beam them off? Ions, I guess. Oh, it was probably probably Ions, Michael, messing with the transporter. And Worf has the thing and it's all wobbly and like, why doesn't the, the 25th century technology phaser cannon have... A gimbal, even. Like a modern thing. It's fucking bizarre. It's steady. It's bizarre. They just do a big Mad Max in the middle of it. Fucking bizarre. So, and it's it should have been okay. Nah. The director they got, Michael, was huge. But he's an action movie director. He's an Star action Trek's movie next... director. But Star now, Trek he... The Next Generation is not an action movie franchise. So here's here's the interesting thing about that for me, Michael, is I thought he had directed lots of things. Stuart Bard, by the way, is who we're no, talking he, about. he hasn't. Three he hasn't. He's edited this. lots of things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would have thought, Michael, we would have gotten a much better movie from an editor of his calibre. Lethal Weapon 1. Yeah. Lethal Weapon movie. 2. Good action movie, yeah. Die Hard 2. Okay, action movie. Tango and Cash. <laughs> Bruce Willis Superman 2 The Richard Donner cut Bruce Willis isn't in Tango and Cash Ben um, Yeah he's an action movie director And this isn't an action movie franchise Bizarre and it, killed the, it killed the franchise This it killed it killed the, it stone fucking dead Absolutely stone dead Killed the franchise There's a couple of other weird things about it Like there's an absolute waste of Ron Perlman Ron Perlman is the uh, the viceroy he doesn't even get a name. He does. He's just the viceroy, <laughs> and he Awful. ends up in a fist fight with movie director Jonathan Frakes. And Jonathan Frakes wins. <laughs> What's Gas. that about? Gas. Jonathan Frakes doesn't look like he could throw a punch. He can't. He hasn't served in the mines. No, not in the dilithium. Hardened man. No, not One at of all. My- one of my favourite things looking this up, Michael, is so the death of the, the Viceroy is a fall. Yeah. He falls. And um, several Star Trek Enterprise nerds have pointed out he couldn't have fallen. They were fighting on the ground floor of the Enterprise, essentially. And then they go on about the 29th floor, except that they have established many, many times in the Star Trek lines that there's only 24 decks. On the Enterprise E. On the Enterprise E. So this 29 bollocks can get fucked. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird movie. Like, it's not, it's well acted. It's fine. I, I, yeah, Tom Hardy is g- very good as the prototype Bane. Yeah. And the crew members, when they get to be the crew members, are all exactly the lovable crew members you remember. A great bunch of lads. 
Grand bunch of lads. But it is just a bizarre action movie that uses the Star Trek character faces. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's odd. It's very, very odd. It's P- Picard. You hit the nail on the head. Picard has such strange characterization in this. Go on. He just He's just Han Solo. He's just rushing in, fucking charge, leading the charge. And, you know, it's weird. Yeah, yeah, it's it's... I'm going to go across on my own and I'm going to fist fight my younger, more injured clone. What do you mean, John Luke Picard? <laughs> noted diplomat and silver tongued devil. What do you mean you're going to fist fight him? Oh, have you gone? Oh. I thought you'd gone. Oh, we're both gone. No, you're back. I'm back. I've never left. You, you just wandered off. From my perspective, you left. Oh, very good. We both have dementia. Um, <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, what did you think of the seminal classic Star Trek Wrath of Khan? What did you... Oh, sorry, Nemesis. Wrath of Khan's great. Wrath of Khan's very good. So good yeah. they tried to make it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and it wasn't even Do starring Benedict Cumberbatch be this time. Yeah. Oh, they do, they've tried to make it twice again. Twice again. I would say that this is better than that. Du tout. Oh, maybe. Maybe. I think that this is a better film than Star Trek Wrath of Benedict. On its own. But what outside about... Outside of the... Fr- but what about Outside the of the boys? franchise. What? What about the Beastie Boys? Oh, the Beastie Boys were in that one. That was good. Yeah, they had the soundtrack. Thing. No, Michael, it's probably better. It's probably better. The the J.J. Abrams Star Trek stuff is very forgettable. Yeah, uh, and a little bit too convoluted. The one thing you can say for this is that it is, um, it's a pretty tight story. Pacing's a bit slow. Pacing's a little bit odd, but it's a very tight story. I mean, one of my favourite things about this is that for the crew of the Enterprise E, they probably won't even remember this. No. It's like slightly more eventful than an average episode. But for me, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday, exactly, ben. exactly. Ben, tell the listeners about the poll. The Ju- the, the Ra- we're going to have to come up with a name for that. The Raul Julia paradox or something. I don't know. Um, the poll, ladies and gentlemen, we did a poll. We did a classic Sherlock Listen poll that you could be a part of if you just follow us on Instagram at Sherlock Listen Podcast. But the poll we put up: Who's the best damn captain in Starfleet? Picard. Who is it? And we gave Picard. people a vote. We said, could it be Kirky Boy? Yeah, no. Could it be Janeway? No. What about classic Cisco? I mean, maybe. No. But no, it's sexy, suave Jean-Luc Picard with 11 votes and 69% of it. Ooh-wee. How 69. fitting. 69. Very bloody good. Patrick Stewart. Ladies and gentlemen, do you agree with those polls? If you didn't, get in touch with us in a few different places. You can find us on the interwebs at www.shomrabeog.com, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. It means tiny room in Irish. It does indeed. You can find us on the interwebs, sorry, on the Instagram at Shiluxualism Podcast. It means Shiluxualism in English. Or up there on TikTok at Shiluxualism Podcast. Is it? Yeah. But the best way, Michael, to get in touch what? with us... Best what? way. What is it? Is to get up on the Discord. Hop up on it. The get link up is on in it. the description down below there. Yeah. Great stuff altogether. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks a million for listening to us. Bye bye. Bye bye. See you next week. We're gonna talk about Indiana Jones. Yeah. The really good one. Crystal Skull. Tune oh in. no. Yeah. <laughs>